You are listening to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Rosie Davidson, an infant sleep consultant, author and mum of three. This is a show all about honest chat where I talk about my favourite topic, sleep, of course, but I will also be covering your burning parenting questions and speak to some very special guests along the way. So buckle up and enjoy! Hello and welcome back to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. This episode I have called Simple Steps to Sleep Success because let's face it, I want it to feel simple. I don't want sleep to feel complicated, difficult, daunting or any of those things. So this episode is all about diving into the nitty gritty of how to improve you and your family's sleep. I really want you to know that long-term sleep deprivation is, on the whole, unnecessary. Obviously, it's easy for me to say that, and there are often outside factors that we can't control when it comes to sleep, but I want you to know that often with some really simple changes and straightforward tweaks, we can make a really big difference to our little one's sleep and our sleep as a result. So when I'm working with families or a family is working through one of our online courses, there are a few areas that we cover. And when we created these online courses, the idea behind it was actually to emulate a one-to-one call as closely as possible, as in give you the areas that we would cover. So I would always look at sleep environment as a starting point So thinking about where your little one sleeps and you, and is this set up to be conducive to a really good night's sleep? So is there something simple we can tweak, like, I don't know, blackout blinds, changing bedding, where the cot is sat in the room, maybe it'd be better away from you, closer to you, so on and so forth. We always look at routine and routine is fundamental to our sleep. No matter what anyone says, if people say, I'm not a routine person. I find it really restrictive. Your routine needs to serve you. It doesn't need to be restrictive. We don't want a restrictive routine that makes you miserable and has you sat in a dark room crying. (laughs) We want your routine to help you and to improve your little one's sleep and your sleep. So human beings are all hardwired to have a routine and that might just mean that you benefit from having a regular time that you wake up in the morning and a regular time you go to bed at night. And this is fundamental human biology. You can't argue with it. (laughs) If you think about it, before the modern world, we were very much led by the light. So we would wake up when it got light and we'd go to sleep when it got dark and we would do our work or our hunter gathering or whatever we did during those hours. And obviously, maybe life was a bit more unpredictable then, but we do benefit from having regular meal times. Little ones benefit from having regular nap times. The body knows what to expect, therefore, the body's more relaxed, therefore, function is better. I could go on. But when we're looking at sleep, it's always worth assessing routine. Is it serving you? Are the naps balanced? Are they going to bed all right at night? Is it that maybe they need less day sleep to improve night sleep or is it vice versa? Who knows? But routine is something that we always look at. I also always look at how little ones fall asleep. What are the conditions with which they fall asleep? Is there something we can do to tweak it to make the process smoother? Is how you're doing things actually working for you? In which case, maybe it's the other areas that we focus on. 
those are like the key areas we look at. But I want to dig a little bit deeper for you and give you some really practical tips that you can try today to help you with your sleep. However, before I do that, I think it's really important to take a step back and assess what it actually is that's troubling you about you or your baby's sleep. Is there something really specific that you'd like to improve? And I think that having a really clear picture in your mind can help. So think about your why. What is your reason? What is bothering you? And this is where sometimes I find a bit of journaling or even literally just making a list on your phone or on a piece of paper. I do prefer writing it, to be honest. I feel like you can collect your thoughts better if you have a pen and paper. But have a think about what it is that you'd like to improve. Is it that um, short naps are bothering you? Is it that you can't put your baby down in the evening? Is it that they wake after half an hour? Is it that you're struggling to settle them during the night? And then think about what would be your ideal scenario. So what would be your goal? What would be your end goal, the dream? Is it that you would like them to sleep from seven till seven? Because I'm going to be honest with you, for some babies, that's actually not necessarily achievable. And anyone who tells you that all babies have the ability to sleep for 12 hours at night is talking nonsense because I have one who doesn't. I'm a sleep consultant, my third child. I don't think he's ever, apart from when he was poorly, maybe once, slept for 12 hours. He has slept for 11 hours. He has slept for 10 and a half hours. And that's kind of what he regularly does. You simply can't say all babies are the same. They are not. They're all different. So you need to bear that in mind when you're thinking about your goals, what you'd like to achieve, what is achievable for your baby and what is going to be changes that you are comfortable with without moving away from your parental belief system, how you respond to your baby, all these kind of things. So have your goals, have your dreams, and then we can kind of think about what could we actually change to try and work towards those. And maybe making some notes from this podcast might help you. If you're walking, then maybe make some notes on your phone and pause it. If you're at home, maybe just grab a pen and paper. So I've spoken about routine. So timing, I wanted to talk a bit more about timing. When we're looking at the balance of day and night sleep, is it meeting your little one's needs? Sometimes making really small adjustments to the length and timings of nap or adjusting their bedtime might help you. I want you to remember that sleep needs change over time. So your little one's sleep routine and nap times when they are three months old will be very different to when they're six months old because gradually they need less and less sleep. So it might be that there's a nap transition going on. And by that, I mean dropping a nap. For example, at seven months, just to throw it out there, they might be dropping their third nap of the day. But it might be that they're not ready to do that, but it might be that you need to tweak the naps that you're doing. So the morning nap might need to be a little bit shorter in order to make the, what I call the lunchtime nap, so like second nap of the day, longer. So it might be that small tweaks are all you need, or it might be that you're struggling to settle them at bedtime and once they were settling quite well, in which case the last nap of the day, it might need to be that you cap it or you make bedtime a bit later just to allow sleep pressure, that's our drive to sleep, our hormone adenosine, allow that to build a bit more to help you at bedtime because nobody's going to be able to fall asleep 
if that isn't high enough at bedtime. And that needs to be in line with our circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock, which is ticking behind the scenes all the time. So when we fall asleep at night, we have our circadian rhythm and we have sleep pressure. And these two things work alongside each other. And when we find the perfect, I mean, there's no such thing as perfect, but a really great rhythm to our sleep, that means that our circadian rhythm and our sleep pressure is nicely aligned. So we fall asleep fairly easily at bedtime. Think about timing. So routine is kind of a big subject, but timing is a more of a specific one that you can play around with. And don't be scared to make changes if you feel that you need to. So bedtime routine. You might have heard people talking about this. I talk about it a lot. And for some people, they think, I mean, I know this. This is really obvious. But sometimes pointing out the obvious can actually be quite helpful and just reminding you of the reasons why we would have a bedtime routine. And even as a sleep consultant and a mum of three, I often forget this. (laughs) So a calming, predictable build up to bedtime can really make all the difference to help your little one unwind and feel ready for sleep. I'm going to give you an example. So my seven-year-old, last night, her uncle was round and he arrived not long before bedtime. There was lots of excitement because he's been around the world traveling and he came back and my kids were really excited to see him. But the timing of it wasn't great because they should have been unwinding to go to bed and it was all very rushed She'd also had a swimming lesson in the afternoon. So instead of doing her normal bath time routine, we thought, well, let it slide because she had a shower after swimming. However, because she didn't have this time to unwind, she was still awake coming up and down the stairs every five, 10 minutes saying, mummy, I can't go to sleep. And this was, I think, because she didn't have the time to unwind. She didn't have her normal predictable bath time and story time and everything that we normally do because she was excited to see her uncle got really worked up and didn't have that window of time that we normally have we kind of rushed her into bed and yeah it was a disaster and she was awake really late and she was yawning this morning and I just felt really bad because I thought I should know this I should know why we stick to a calming predictable bedtime routine And human beings love to know what's happening next, even if it's just our subconscious. So sticking to that whenever you can. Obviously, life gets in the way. Yesterday, you know, we prioritised spending time with a family member and allowed the kids to embrace that and enjoy it. And it's not the end of the world. She'll go back to her normal routine tonight. But I just wanted to give you an example of how even the most experienced of us will sometimes forget what we're doing. So thinking about bedtime routine, it doesn't need to be regimented. It can be super simple. You can even follow a bedtime routine with a newborn. It's just the same simple steps each night before bed, which helps to let them know that sleep is on the way. So it might be bonding time, doing some puzzles, going up to the bathroom, Some little ones, actually, visual cues are really helpful. And we've been doing this with my two-year-old. So showing him his towel or something that symbolises bath time and saying it's bath time now so he can see. And then we all go running up the stairs and go into the bath. But knowing these simple things, you might give your little one a massage afterwards or they might just be crying saying, I want my milk and I want to go to sleep. And that's really normal as well. And I'm often asked this actually about whether 
their little ones should be really calm and humans are humans and we're not always really calm it doesn't matter just do what works for you but doing things in the same order each night can really really help us all to relax and know what's coming next and I can't emphasize enough the benefits of that for you and your little one sleep and remember your own sleep routine as well and we're all guilty of it we will stay up late watching Netflix and then jump into bed thinking oh my god if I don't get to sleep now I'm only going to have five six seven hours sleep when I need eight and I've left it too late and I'm tossing and turning give yourself time to unwind and have your own sleep hygiene we call it where you think about things that relax you before bed and having some time away from screens as well and I'm terribly guilty of looking at my phone just before bed but we all know it's not the best thing to do. Another thing I've touched on is something before your bedtime routine and I can't talk about this enough, bonding time. Bonding time is really important, connection time. All of us as human beings are seeking connection from our loved ones. Especially if we've had busy days, your little ones might have been at nursery or school or away from you, or even if they haven't been away from you, they might have been with you, but you've been busy out and about doing things, shopping, clearing up, cooking, sorting out washing, doing all the normal things that we do. So having a think about reconnecting before bedtime, because bedtime's a big deal for our little ones. They're going to be, in theory, if they're sleeping separately from us, they're going to be separated from us, which is quite a big deal for small people. So having some really focused connection time before bed can actually really improve how they fall asleep and how they accept that separation from you. So it could just be 10, 15 minutes of stories together, maybe a bit of play, some cuddles. It could even be what we might call roughhousing, which just means like play fighting, not actually hurting actually hurting each other um, although siblings might do that um, we want to discourage that obviously but like yoga or tickling if it's consensual obviously we always stop if children say stop that's really important um, I talk to my children a lot about body boundaries and how nobody is allowed to enter our body boundaries unless we're okay with it and if we're not okay with it we can always say no and that's why it's really important if your little one says to you stop no I don't like it or anything like that you stop even if it's that you want to cuddle kiss them tickle them whatever it is because we want to teach them that their bodies are their bodies and nobody has the right to enter their body boundaries without invitation I like talking about that a lot because we can make a huge difference in how our children feel about their bodies and potentially that can affect their future lives and relationships Anyway, um, so it might be some physical play. It could be a nice little game, whatever it is. Put your phones away, turn the TV off and have some really focused time so that they can fill up their love tank with your love before they're going to be separated at bedtime and let them lead the play. Be curious about what they're doing. You don't have to do kind of any amateur dramatics like putting on a play for them. A lot of us feel pressured that it should be some like elaborate game that we're doing. It doesn't have to be like that. Just watch what they're doing, engage in it, stay curious and just stay interested. And this can help, just help the process of bedtime run a bit smoother in my experience. And sometimes quote unquote bad behaviour or messing around 
bedtime procrastination is just about them wanting your attention and spending some time with you, which is perfectly valid in my eyes. So hopefully that can help mitigate that. Other simple steps to sleep success. It might be really obvious, but again, I want to point it out, temperature. So the optimum temperature for the room that they sleep in should be between 16 and 20 degrees Celsius. We want to obviously monitor that as much as possible. And to an extent, it's not always possible to change the temperature because obviously we don't live in a perfect moderate temperature year round in the UK anyway. Um, uh, Sometimes gets hot in the summer. We do sometimes have heat waves. It's been known to hit 40 degrees in the summer, in which case most of us here don't have air con. We have homes that are insulated And in the summer, it can be quite tricky to keep it cool. And in the winter, it can be quite tricky to keep it warm. Energy bills are on the rise and it can be quite difficult for some families to warm their homes. So if we can't change the temperature and control that, what can we control? We can control what they're wearing. So if they feel hot, then we remove a layer. If they feel cold, we put on a layer. And it's important to remember how we do that. So it might be, for example, if they're too hot, you put on a lighter tog sleeping bag or you take their vest off. If it's too cold, don't add blankets on top of your little one's sleeping bag because there is a possibility they can oversleep or get tangled in their sleeping bag. It's better to get a higher tog sleeping bag so that then they're comfortable. And I'm, I'm really a big fan of sleeping bags. It just means I feel like they're safer, first of all, because they're not going to get tangled up in blankets, but also they're just free. And like, if they roll over, they're not going to become uncovered and get cold. And that actually helps kind of moderate their temperature. Obviously, when they get to toddler age, you might be thinking about a duvet, Remember that small toddlers are not going to be able to pull up a duvet. You can practice it during the day. So play games where you're pulling up a cover, but that actually kind of is a skill to pull up a cover over you. And some will do it earlier than others. I tend to not bother with a duvet until they move into a bed, which again, I don't rush unless they're climbing out of their cot and it's not safe or they've outgrown it. Otherwise I tend to leave them in. So you might be thinking about moving them around the age of two and a half to four. Four is maybe on the higher end of being in a cot, but you never know. Everyone's different. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's always my saying, but it's got to be, it's got to work for you. And if you feel like your little one's ready for a bed and a duvet, that's fine. But the main thing is we want them to be comfortable in their sleep space and be at a moderate temperature wherever we can. And thinking about controlling our heating when we can, opening windows if it's hot obviously we want it to be safe so make sure that there's no way they could be in any danger with that window or blinds or whatever else is going on. I wanted to speak about temperature because it is one of those kind of obvious ones but it's also something that a lot of us really worry about with babies especially if you want to feel how warm they are feel the back of their neck or their chest not their extremities as in their hands and feet because they're often much colder than the rest of their body and it's not a true indication of how cold they are and some of you might have experienced this as well but I've had older family members actually including my mum say oh my god they're really cold 
you need to put something on them. And I say, actually, they're, they're not. Their hands are cold that you're feeling, but the rest of them is quite warm. So... episode is brought to you by Just Chill Baby Sleep, their number one infant sleep consultancy in the UK and beyond. We really love sleep and we want you to have all the information that you need about sleep at your fingertips. Our award-winning self-led online courses can banish those bad nights and leave you feeling calm and in control and most of all well rested. For more information about our online courses and one-to-one support please go to justchillbabysleep.co.uk Listeners can also use the code JCPP for 10% off any online course or bundle. So sleep well. Another simple thing that we can look at is to rule out any possible disturbances. So things that might be disturbing your little one, like noises around the house or from outside, light coming in. So that's, I mean, that's an easy fix with blackout blinds. Perhaps the noise of your boiler clicks on in early hours or pets are disturbing them, other children in the home and other things that just you might not have thought of, but just take a step back and think, is there anything else disturbing them? The other thing that could be disturbing them, and it's really important to talk about, is hunger. There's absolutely no set age that babies drop all milk feeds. I'm going to reiterate that because there's certain people out there who will say, right, from six months, babies don't need any milk feeds. And I think that's really unfair because as always, each baby is an individual, each feeding journey is very individual and babies don't just feed for hunger. Often it's uh, as a pain relief, it could be just for comfort and there's actually nothing wrong with that. And if that's working for your family, that's all right. What we can do is give them the best chance at not needing to do it for reasons other than hunger, but there's nothing wrong with it. So there's no set age that they're not going to need milk feeds. So if you feel like they're waking up genuinely hungry, don't feel there's a pressure to drop those feeds. What I will say is from around the age of 12 months, babies can move on to a cup for if for milk if they're having cow's milk so around 12 months they don't need formula anymore they can move to cow's milk and you can move to a cup i could maybe do an episode with more information about this and if you'd like that let me know it can be a bit of a process but once you get to that stage i really don't think they need cow's milk overnight breastfeeding is slightly different because it doesn't impact them in the same way. And I know that kind of feels really unfair, but the way that they drink milk from a bottle isn't great for teeth. And that's really important to say. And I have to say it, whereas breast milk doesn't cause cavities in the same way. Having said that, we want to be looking at their dietary intake across the day and the night. And if either way you're feeding them, whether that's breast milk, cow's milk or formula, if any of those things is affecting their dietary intake during the day, then it might just be worth reassessing and having think about it. And using a bit of common sense, you know, if they're having a milk feed overnight and they're eating fairly well in the day, or even if they're having more feeds and they're eating fairly well in the day, it's probably fine. Trust your gut, trust your instinct. But if you think actually feeding all night they're not interested in their breakfast 
maybe it's time to just reassess those night feeds, maybe drop one, maybe reduce them, just have a think about it. And lots of things will impact it. So health, their temperament, whether they're just looking for milk to settle themselves and working on how they fall asleep will actually help you with that. So it's definitely worth thinking about that. But hunger. So it might be that your little one has suddenly started settling themselves to sleep and for the most part settling themselves back to sleep but they wake up at five half five in the morning and they seem really hungry I want you to know that it's absolutely fine to feed them at that time a lot of people tell you not to but I'm like do you know what if they've gone from let's just say seven o'clock at night they had a milk feed and then they've woken up at half five in the morning they could genuinely be hungry so it's worth experimenting with that Or it might just be, there's not a lot of sleep pressure around. That's our hormone adenosine I spoke about earlier. So that's really high at the beginning of the night. That's our drive to sleep. It's that really eyelids drooping, sleepy feeling. There's not a lot of that around in the morning. And our bodies, although they might not be ready yet, they are getting ready to start the day. So we can be a bit more alert. It can be harder to resettle. So sometimes our little ones are searching for milk, which is a comfort to get them back to sleep. So it's about experimenting and working out, are they hungry or are they doing it to get themselves back to sleep? Also with older ones, more so toddlers and children, if they're having quite an early dinner time, let's just say five o'clock, really common kind of time, or it could even be earlier if they're at nursery, a lot of nurseries will do the mealtime around half three, four. If they're doing that, they need some kind of snack before they go to bed, or it's worth trying a snack before they go to bed. Think something healthy, low-ish sugar, because sugar is actually a stimulant. Obviously, I mean, most people realise that, but again, with this podcast, I want to point out the obvious. Chocolatey stuff's not ideal because that's sugar and potentially caffeine in it as well. So think nice, sleepy feeling foods like porridge, banana, nut butter on toast. Those are all quite comforting, nice foods that are nice and like carby, which can help us feel a bit sleepy as well. So sometimes having a snack before bed so it might be just before the bedtime routine or a bit earlier depending on your kind of timings and with my children we do actually do this as well we often eat dinner about half five and we might do a snack at like quarter to seven because it's quite a long time to go all night when you're having a really early dinner to the morning and to give them a fair chance at having good night's sleep for some children they might need a snack and for others they don't and if they don't eat it don't worry about it maybe they don't need it they can obviously still have a drink of milk before bed Um, my two-year-old still does that he has a cup of milk when he gets out of the bath and then we do stories and then we clean teeth and then he goes to bed it's important that we are cleaning teeth and maybe again I can do a bit more of a deep dive into dental hygiene in another episode but it is important to be cleaning teeth after that last milk feed once they have teeth as I mentioned briefly earlier breast milk doesn't cause cavities in the same way as formula and cow's milk partly because of the makeup of it but also the method of feeding so when they are feeding at the breast it doesn't pool in the back of the mouth like it does with the bottle and sit on the teeth 
But I do think for good practice, it is good to think about cleaning teeth after either type of feeding. But don't panic if you're breastfeeding and they just fall asleep at the boob. It's not a disaster. In fact, it's not a disaster however they're doing it. But thinking about dental hygiene is really important. And in the UK, we have quite a lot of problems with our young people's teeth, sadly. So looking after their teeth is really important. And just getting into the habit of looking after teeth is is a good thing to do, I think. So what else is really obvious? Simple steps to good sleep. This also, you might think, oh God, of course we've thought of that. But again, reminding yourself day to day, what are the simple habits and things we can do to improve sleep? Exercise and fresh air. This in the winter months can feel much harder. So getting out in the morning is so valuable for all of us. So the light enters our eyes, even if it's dark and grey and drizzling, it is still worth it. Daylight helps our internal body clocks know when to feel sleepy at night. It is absolute genius. Honestly, the human body, the more and more I learn about it, it just is fascinating. And getting out, ideally before 11 o'clock in the morning, even if it's a five minute walk around the block, or you go into your garden or your local park, just get that natural light in your eyes. And actually, we should ideally not wear sunglasses for a little bit. Your baby's unlikely to be wearing sunglasses. Um, (laughs) But thinking about that and getting outside, and we are designed to move, human beings and children especially. So I really, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I really don't like the idea that children should have to sit still and maybe less so in in modern kind of schooling and nurseries are children expected to do this. I can vividly remember sitting on the carpet at school and being told to sit still. Not only is this really hard for children to do, but they're not designed to sit still. They are designed to be moving and so are adults, but it's trained out of us, which is one of the reasons why we have an obesity epidemic in this country. But for sleep as well, we need to be moving in the day. We're designed to move. Not only was that painful for me to sit still as a child, but I'm also hypermobile, which I've discovered in later life. I actually didn't have a clue. And it was actually painful. It was painful to sit still cross-legged on a bloody carpet listening to a story. And I get it. I get it, you know, to an extent, you know, we need to sit and listen. But what is wrong with children doing acrobatics? Because naturally, if you watch them, even watching TV, most children will be moving around and it's really sad to stop them doing that. But ideally, if they can have some time outside, it's great. And that is why in schools and nurseries in the UK, the guidance is that they should always spend some time outside during the day. And I know when you're tired, the last thing you feel like doing is getting up, getting out. But actually... I feel like even on my worst days, unless I'm like really ill, unless let's say I had a migraine or I had a stomach bug, unless I was literally in my bed and couldn't move, I would be out. I would be out that door. Even if we said, right, we are going for a five minute walk this morning around the block, I would do it because I know for my mental health, my physical health and everybody's sleep, we feel better when we get outside. So I urge you to do that if you can. And if your little one can do some exercise running around, all the better. If the weather is, let's say it's snowing and it's just it's just untenable, you just can't. There are some things we can do. I like 
making a mini obstacle course at home for babies as well. And this is good. I remember the age when they're crawling, but they can't walk or they're starting to like pull up on furniture, but they can't walk. So when you go out to the park, especially in the winter, it's a bit of a nightmare because they're either crawling in the mud or they're in the buggy or you're holding them. And it's it's quite a tricky time. It is a short lived phase if you're going through that. So please take heart at that. But in that case, the exercise might be at home and putting cushions on the floor, getting them to crawl under chairs, just changing things around and making them a bit of a novelty just for some fun, building a fort. So you might take the big cushions off your sofa. You might put a blanket over a chair as long as it's safe and supervised. Babies do quite like all of that stuff. You might even make yourself into a bridge and they crawl through the tunnel under your tummy. All of these kind of things are exercise. So thinking about that because it does impact our sleep. I've found personally since improving my steps. So I've been on a bit of a kind of wellness journey since it's taken me a long time. But with all my children, when they approach the age of two, I start feeling like my body really needs something else. Um, And one of those things that I've started to do, and finally, my pelvic girdle pain which again is a whole other episode, has started to improve a bit. That's through a combination of strengthening manual therapy, but also fitness. I've started to do more steps. And steps gives me two things. One, time outside, because you need a certain amount of time to do the steps. So having, I'm not really a fan of like arbitrary targets. Like I feel like 10,000 steps It's a good amount because you know that I'm therefore going to have, I don't know how long it takes me to do 10,000 steps, but I'm going to have that time out of the house, outside, in the fresh air, in the natural light. And forcing myself to do that is helpful in that sense. But also it's a good kind of barometer for how much I've moved in the day. And we do naturally move anyway. Like, I don't know, if you have stairs in your home, up and down the stairs or to and from the kitchen, picking toys up, cooking, all of those things are movement and our natural movement. But if you think about humans, we're probably designed to move more than that, a little bit more. We're designed to be hunter-gatherers and we're designed to move. So I think steps are quite a good thing. Obviously, some of us have limits physically. We might have reasons why we can't do many steps. Um, and I was definitely one of those up until really fairly recently, like the last six months, if I'd walked the amount I'm walking now, my left hip would have been in agony and probably my coccyx and my lower back, but actually it's really improved. So I've massively digressed here. I hope this is interesting, (laughs) but at the moment I'm averaging 10,000 steps. Some days I might do 12,000, some days I'm doing like 8,000. If something's happened in the day or like I've had work, I've been at my desk more, it might be less than that. It might be six or 7,000, but I'm averaging around 10. And I think it's quite a good goal to have in mind. If you're somebody who drives to work or you're sat on a train and I don't know, you drive to a toddler group, you're sat in the toddler group and then it can be quite difficult to get steps in, but having movement breaks in your day and don't think you can't do this stuff with your babies and with your toddlers. Just say, we're going for a walk. Like we're going to go for a little 15 minute walk after lunch. Just get that in. And exercise is a tonic it extends our life just like good sleep does. So the pillars of our health 
I'm really going off on one now, but you know, I hope this is valuable for you to remind you the simple things. Exercise, movement, good food. These are the three things that we need. And the modern world can make it feel quite difficult to do all of those things. Like obviously convenience food, sometimes it's cheaper, it's easier. There's nothing wrong with it, but we want to minimise ultra processed foods. Think about that for sleep as well, because a lot of them have additives and things and they're maybe not quite as nutritious. But having a balance, like thinking, okay, we've had one meal that's like ultra processed. Can we have one meal that's a bit fresher or a bit healthier? Okay, this morning we've sat around a lot. We've not been able to get out. Can we get out this afternoon and have some movement in? Okay, last night we didn't sleep well. Can we get an earlier night tonight to get some better sleep in? Having this balance to our lives is important because sometimes we can have like an all or nothing mentality where we think, right, I've not been able to get out today. So let's just chuck it all out the window. I'm not going to move at all. Um, I've not been able to cook anything from scratch. So let's just eat chocolate and crisps all day, not have a proper dinner. Or you might think, oh, we're not going to sleep anyway. So let's just forget it. Just we'll sleep when we sleep and just accept that we're going to have a crap night's sleep. That is the all or nothing mentality and to know that life just isn't going to be perfect and we have to let that go. And it's something that I've learned in later life. I mean, (laughs) I'm 41, I'm not like old, but it's something I've learned in the recent years. We can't be perfect with things, but just doing the best we can with what we have is really key. So I hope that that's helpful and just an obvious reminder of things we can think about. The other thing that I did want to mention is medical concerns. And you might look at all this sleep stuff and you're just thinking, it just isn't working, my little one, we're just not improving sleep. Whether that's actually for you or your little one. And sometimes that can be down to things that are completely out of your control, like allergies, reflux, digestive issues, eczema, undiagnosed tongue ties, anything like that and more. And if your gut tells you there's something wrong, please go and speak to your GP. If they are unhelpful or dismissive, you can ask to speak to somebody else at the practice. Um, You can speak to your health visitor. Some are super helpful and clued up and some have gaps in their knowledge on particular areas. But it's always worth just fighting your corner and speaking to whoever you can, making some noise. If there's something that you really think is wrong, please seek support because it might be getting in the way of a good night's sleep. And again, that might be obvious, but I wanted to point it out because it's important because no matter what you do, if your little one's super uncomfortable, it's unlikely they're going to have a good night's sleep. So those are some simple steps to sleep success. I hope they're simple. I want it to be obvious. I want it to be simple. I don't want it to be complicated. So on this podcast, I tend to cover a kind of sleep topic and then a parenting topic. But this other topic is sleep related as well, because I've been wanting to talk about it. And it is white noise, because there's a lot of information out there about white noise. And I wanted to give you some of the facts about it. So what is white noise? White noise is a combination of frequencies that sound like static or like a washing machine, raindrops or a fan. These gentle rhythmic sounds all work in the same way and they can sometimes help to calm your baby and therefore hopefully help them to sleep well. Remember that babies have been used to the calming sound of the heartbeat in the womb 
and not only the heartbeat, people always think it's the heartbeat, but it's also the sound of blood whooshing through the placenta. So why noise is helpful for calming, potentially, but also it could be really helpful to drown out noises in the home. So whether that's your dog barking, the postman, a noisy sibling, there's lots of potential things. Or if you're room sharing, your partner snoring or you snoring. Snoring is a whole other topic that I could talk loads about. What is the actual guidance on white noise? So actually, it should be fairly quiet. If you're unsure, then have a think about what would be the volume of a running shower. And you can err on the side of caution with volume. I think that's a sensible thing to do. Um, Neonatal units are limited to 50 decibels, so that can give you an idea. And if you're not sure if you have like a white noise machine or something that you're using, you can download an app on your phone I think they're called Decibels app. I'm not sure. Have a look. And you can test the volume of the white noise. So limiting it to 50 decibels and thinking about not having it right next to your baby's head. And some of the things that people use for white noise are right next to their heads, which isn't ideal. Um, So move it a little bit away. Ideally, the guidance is around two metres, which is quite far if you've been used to having it right next to their head. Um, One thing I would say is I think if you're using white noise, ideally it should be on for the duration of sleep. So the whole time they're sleeping, whether that's naps or through the night. The reason being that we want sleep environment to be consistent and conditions with which they fall asleep to be consistent. Because when they're going through sleep cycles in the night, if the sleep environment's changed and they stir, they might not be able to get back to sleep if they're using that or that's what they're used to. So that's what we think, just what are they used to falling asleep with? And if that's not there, that's not necessarily helpful. So you can have it playing all night. And there's some concern around potential hearing damage. And if you follow the guidance for volume and where it's placed, I don't think you need to worry. But if you're having it really loud and really close to them, maybe just reconsider that and think about it. So the thing about white noise is it's not essential for all babies and some people talk like it is, but it's something to try. It's a tool to have in your toolbox if you're struggling and you can stop it whenever you want. There's no guidance for when you have to stop it. Some adults still use white noise. I didn't have it with my babies because it really annoyed me and it's something that I couldn't sleep with. And my sleep conditions, ideally I'd like it pitch black and silent that's my ideal sleeping conditions but for some people they really like it and it really works for them and their babies and do you know what that's okay so if you do decide you want to stop it have a think about volume and across the course of a few nights gradually turn that volume down and if you notice a difference in your baby and they're not sleeping as well perhaps you could turn it up again and try again in a few weeks or a few months but if they don't seem any different you can keep gradually turning it down until you just turn it off and that's kind of how you wean them off there's no evidence about particular types of white noise being better than others people talk about pink noise and brown noise and all these other things but my advice to you is don't get bogged down in it all don't worry about it too much keep it simple keep it as something that you might use if you want to but don't feel pressured to use it I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. I've definitely enjoyed recording it. If you have enjoyed it, please rate it, review 
it and subscribe to it. And if you're feeling super kind, feel free to tell a friend about it too. I want to be a friend to you in your pocket to help inform you and support you around sleep and other parenting topics. So as always, if there's anything that you'd love me to talk about and cover, just let me know. So over and out for this episode. I'll be back soon. Come back and listen. Loads of love and sleep well. Bye.